If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah 66. And let's begin this morning by reading verse 7 and 8. Isaiah 66, verse 7 and 8. Isaiah is just about in the middle of the Bible, by the way. If you just open it right in the middle, you'll probably find it. It's the very last chapter of Isaiah, chapter 66, verse 7 and 8. Verse 7, before she was in labor, she gave birth. And before her pain, her birth pain, that had come upon her, she delivered a son. Now who has heard of such a thing, or seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in a moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Now this is, uh, can be a difficult verse. Here's a mother, uh, and it describes her labor pains, uh, bringing forth in verse 8... As soon as she was in labor, she brought forth her children. But it also describes this mother before she had labor, she brought forth a son. So what is this speaking of? Let's see if we can sort this out for a moment. Now I'm going to, I'll just give it this to you up front. I'm going to hold that these labor pains mentioned in verse 7 and again in verse 8 are the labor pains of Mother Jerusalem. She was considered a mother. And that these birth pains took place in the time preceding the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The Romans came in in 70 AD, totally destroyed Jerusalem and, in fact, the land of Israel and tore down the temple. Now, I take that from a verse that is given to us in Mark 13 and verse 1 through 8. Jesus has come out of the temple for the last time. The disciples turn and point out the stones. Look at these huge, beautiful stones in the temple. Some of them were as large as a car. And the disciples said, look at how beautiful this is. And Jesus points to the stones and says, not one stone will be left standing on another. He's predicting the 70 A.D. destruction of Jerusalem. And he says, the disciples said, well, when will this happen? How can we know 
when it's time. And Jesus said, well, first of all, there's going to be false Christs, wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes. And then he makes this statement. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. The birth pains are those sorrows that preceded the destruction of the temple. You read Mark 13 verses 1 to 8 and you see it there. He's describing not signs of our day, but signs for the disciples to see when the temple would be destroyed, Jerusalem would be destroyed, and he says to them, you need to leave Jerusalem, get out of the country, get out of the city. And he calls those sorrows that precede that destruction birth pains because the mother Israel is giving birth to a whole nation. See that in verse 8. But notice that she, before she was in this labor, verse 7, she gave birth. Before her pain came, these birth pains, these sorrows of preceding 70 AD, he says before that happened, she delivered, verse 7, a son. Now who is that? The son is the son of God. She, Jesus was a son of Israel and a son of God. And the son of God. But before the awful sorrows preceding 70 A.D., the famines, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, before all that happened, she brought forth the son. But then when she labored, verse 8, as soon as she was in labor, she brought forth the children. And, and Isaiah says, who has seen such a thing as that? That a land or a nation can be born in a single day. Now, I, I just want to confirm it by pointing out the context here. Isaiah 66, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at His word. Your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake. So here's the context. It's a time of persecution of faithful believers. They hate the, tr the true believers and cast them out, out of the synagogue, excommunicate them. This is in keeping with Matthew 10, 22, where Jesus told his disciples, you're going to be hated by all for my namesake. And also in John 9, verse 32, when Jesus healed the blind man and the Pharisees questioned, did he really heal you? Uh, and he said, well, not since creation of the world has a man born blind ever seen again. And so this man has to be of God. And they said to him, John 9, 34, you were born in sin. Are you going to try to teach us? And they cast him out, out of the synagogue. That's what it says here. Your brothers will hate you and cast you out for my namesake. So that's the context and it's first century description. So what you have here 
is this incredible, accurate, precise prophecy of the events, the birth of the Son, the sorrows preceding the destruction of Jerusalem, and the ultimate renewal of a new Jerusalem, a new Israel, a new land, a new country, uh, which is the church of Jesus Christ. There's one... um, uh, some have pointed to the rebirth of Israel in 1948. I don't think that's the meaning here. She delivered a son before all this happened, just preceding the labor. I think that's first century. But also you have to remember that even today, if you go to the land of Israel, if you go to Jerusalem, you will not find a temple in which to worship. You will not find a functioning priesthood. You will not find a sacrificial system. And uh, give me that picture of the Temple Mount. This is, this is the Temple Mount today. You see the gold, gold uh, ball there? That's where the temple used to sit. And that's a Muslim mosque sitting in its place. There has been no temple since 2,000 years ago, 70 A.D., when the Romans destroyed it. So there's been no place to go where there's a sacrifice, a functioning, legitimate priesthood, and an identifiable people of God over in Israel. Now, as he continues, uh, he points out that there is a new mother emerging. A land, a nation, verse 8, will be brought forth in a moment. See, once that Jerusalem's destroyed, a new nation emerges. What is that nation? First Peter 2.9, listen at this verse. You, you all, plural, speaking to God's people, Peter said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There's the nation. There's the new nation. It emerges in verse 8. As soon as Zion, literal ancient Jerusalem was in labor, she brought forth her children. These, this new family of God has come to pass, has emerged from the suffering and from the trials and the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, what he then does is point out that when the temple was destroyed, There were no more prayers, no more sacrifices, no more old covenant people. Even as it is today, there is a new covenant people. Listen to 1 Peter 2.5. Here's the new covenant. Here's the New Testament. Here's the new Jerusalem, the true Jerusalem. 1 Peter 2.5. You yourselves are living stones built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are the spiritual house. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, you are the temple of God. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says, the church is the household of God, the house of God. If you go to somebody's house, you expect that they're, you're going to come into their presence. You're going to hear them. You're going to speak to them. That's what it means to go to church, the household of God. And you're coming. We have not lost the ability or privilege of knowing the God who created all things, brought His people out of Egypt in the Exodus, fed them through the wilderness, led them, provided for them, took them into the land of Canaan. He raised up David. He raised up the prophets. And today that people, those descendants, and that faith is found in the church of Jesus Christ. It is not found in modern Judaism. In fact, I attended classes uh, some years ago um, in a local synagogue. And one of the things that it became clear to me, and I found out more and more about it, is most Jews today, even uh, synagogue-attending Jews, do not believe the Bible. They don't believe in Jonah and the whale. They don't believe in creation of Genesis 1. And the rabbi that was teaching was talking about the story of Moses and the story how God uh, spoke to Moses. And I raised my hand. Uh, and I said, do, do you think that God still speaks to people today? She seemed flustered by that. Like, what kind of question is that? Well, I thought it's a pretty good question. I don't remember that she even answered it. But I say that he does because that relationship extends into the New Testament in his church and into believers in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus so the old covenant replaced by the new covenant. The sacrifices replaced by the one sacrifice on the cross. The temple in Jerusalem replaced by many churches. Paul called each church a temple. All over the world. There, there's over 9,000 churches just in Michigan. Places where Christ is preached, hopefully most Christ is preached, the gospel is proclaimed, Christ's sacrifice is proclaimed, forgiveness can be obtained, and faith can be expressed. The God of creation, the God of Exodus, the God of the Bible is available in these temples. Praise God. He did not leave the globe, the world, alone. I love what happens to Satan. It's kind of like, um, uh, maybe you've done this too, but and I kind of hate to admit it, but I was mowing one time, and I have a uh, self-propelled push mower combination. And there was a piece of paper in the yard 
and I kind of mowed around it the first round. And the second time I thought, you know, I, I'm going to have to stop and go in the front of the mower and pick it up, and I don't know what to do with it. So I thought, I'm just going to run over it. So I did. I just mowed over that baby. And I looked behind me. Now there's a hundred pieces of paper. That's the way Satan, he hates God. He mows through the temple, destroys God's people. And now he's got thousands and thousands and thousands of temples everywhere. He thought it's the way to go, but it was not. It was the way of his defeat and Christ's victory. So this is a most amazing prophecy, a most precise prediction found here in Isaiah 66, 7 and 8. Now here's some lessons. This starts in verse 9. God wants us to get this. He wants us to think about this. This great prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. First of all, verse 9. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth? Shall I, who causes to bring forth, shut the womb? In other words, I, if I'm the one who's arranged all this and I'm about to prepare for a new nation, the nation of God's new covenant people. And, and by the way, uh, that verse that I quoted you, 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen generation, royal priesthood, a holy nation. The church of Jesus Christ is a self-governing nation. We are a new nation. He says that these birth pangs... A nation was brought forth in a moment, verse 8. Soon as old Jerusalem was destroyed, the Christian church scattered and began to meet. And that was the new covenant nation. We are a self-governing people. You need to know there's a, that the human governments are not exactly our government. We have a, Christ is our king. We have elders. We have servants. We even have deacons. We have our own form of government. We've been studying it on Wednesday nights. And I am glad this past week, I don't know if you all saw this or not, but this past week, the Supreme Court of the United States took a challenge by New York governor who said, the churches, these churches that seat two or 3,000 people in New York City can only have 10. And the U.S. Supreme Court, five to four, knocked that down and said, you have no right over those churches. The very first amendment to the Constitution is freedom of religion and freedom to assemble and worship the government cannot restrict it. Hallelujah. It recognized our authority under Christ. If we don't get the president of, the, of America that we want, we got a president we love, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and we are under his authority, and praise God, they, the Supreme Court recognized it. So here, but here's the lessons. Verse 9, Shall I bring to the point of birth, cause these labor pains, and not bring forth something? In other words, God says, Do you think I cause suffering without some noble purpose? Do you think, I'm, do you think God designs the, the mother's body so that she goes through labor pains and produces no child? No, God says, Look, if I cause suffering... I'm going to produce a baby. I'm going to give you something worth the suffering. No suffering in the providence of God is useless or wasted. Let me ask you. The destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the scattering of the nation, is an awful catastrophe. It's never been, it's never recovered. But are a million priests better than a few hundred confined to Jerusalem? Is that better? Is Jesus' blood more effective than the blood of bulls and goats? Is his blood better? Are many temples better? Are hundreds of thousands of temples across the globe better than the one? in the middle of Jerusalem. See, God caused the suffering. He caused the destruction. Oh, but He brought forth something so much better. And you can trust the goodness of God and the purpose of God in the midst of the worst suffering that you've ever endured. That's what He's talking about in verse 9. Do you think I'm going to cause all this sorrow, labor pains and not bring forth this beautiful baby. And then he, sa- he says something else. Verse 10, he says, This new Jerusalem that we now experience, which, by the way, Revelation 21 talks about the new Jerusalem, it's, that it's coming down, it's pressing down from heaven. And in Revelation 21, he says, the angel says, I'm going to show you the bride the bride of Christ, the Lamb's wife, and he took John up on a mountain and he showed him the holy city of Jerusalem. See, the holy city, the community of faith, it's the bride of Christ. It's the church of Jesus Christ. We should, verse 10 Rejoice in this new Jerusalem, this true Jerusalem, verse 10. We should be glad for her. He says, all you who love her, rejoice with her. Rejoice with her. Have joy in her. Let the church be a source of joy to you. Celebrate her. Dignify her. And elevate her. Love her as the very bride of Christ. We should rejoice in the church. And then third, uh, we should recognize the blessings of this new community of faith. The New Testament church. The New Jerusalem. 
Here, starting in verse 11, he describes this new mother. Verse 11, rejoice in her. Why? That you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. Like a child nursing at its mother's bosom, he said, you will receive nourishment from her. In fact, he names several describing the church as a mother. The New Testament people of God is a mother here. Nourishment, verse 11. Look at verse 12. Thus says the Lord, I will extend peace to her like a river. He gives her peace. Peace is, comes to the one within its walls. He gives strength to her. Look at verse 12. And you shall nurse and you shall be carried upon her hip, bounced upon her knees. She, the church comes along and sometimes you just can't make it. And the church will reach down and pick you up and carry you like a mother. You've nursed at her breast, her consoling breast. You're carried upon her hip because you can't go on. Last, the last uh, few months, I've actually had several funerals. Of course, they're limited now and you can't, uh, you can't uh, have but a basic family members. I think the most is about 25. And this one family uh, asked me to come and do the funeral. And I went and shared with them gospel about Christ. And looking over that congregation or audience of about 25, uh, I doubt if a single one went to church. I, I just, I don't think anybody or had a pastor. But, you know, where do they turn? Where do they go? They don't call the American Atheist Society, I'll tell you that. Would you come and comfort us? Look at what he says here. As one, verse 13, as one whom his mother comforts, I will comfort you. In the church is peace and strength, nourishment and comfort. That's where you go to for comfort. Pray for me. Is what they would ask of us. And then verse 14 also, you will see and your heart will rejoice. The church is a source of rejoicing. And then look at verse 14 also, your bones will flourish like the grass. Your bones will flourish. That is your health. Hello. Anybody listening when I say it's healthy to go to church? <laughs> Amen. Your bones will rejoice. People need the church like a child needs its mother. John Muir Medical Center 
in San Francisco. This is not a Christian organization, and he's not a clergyman. He reports that there are more, there were more suicides at the John Moore Medical Center. There were more suicides in the last four weeks than they had all last year in San Francisco area. And most of them were young people. Now, there are those who say young people don't need the church. They'll come, come back to it later. I tell you, young people need the church of Jesus Christ. Even Isaiah 40, even the youths shall faint, but those who, re- who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Your teenagers need the church. So he says here, You will see your heart will rejoice. Your bones will flourish. Look at all this. Nourishment, peace, strength, comfort, joy, health, protection. So here God's church is compared. God's New Testament community. The old one was destroyed, but God has a new one in the wings, a new Jerusalem pressing in on the earth. A mother The labor pains are over. She now nurses the infant that she carried and she protects him. Let me ask you a couple of questions and I'm done. Are mothers perfect? I doubt if anybody would say my mother was perfect. But are they necessary your the church is not perfect but you need her like you need like a child needs its mother here's another question do mothers get on your nerves sometimes <laughs> do mothers nag Here's a study done some months ago and in, in reported by Bill Murphy of Incorporated.com. He, the title of this article was Nagging Mothers. Researchers studied 15,000 teenagers over a period of 10 years. And here's what they found. Teens with nagging mothers. Now that's their words. That's not my words. Teens with uh, nagging mothers were more likely to graduate high school, get a good job afterwards, and avoid premature pregnancies, premarital pregnancies. So if you had a nagging mother, sweet, you've got a better future. Now, so should the church sometimes annoy you, push, prod, 
you get these letters, I wish I wasn't on the mailing list. You need to be sought after. We're doing our job. I told my kids when they were growing up, and they'd fuss at me about fussing at them, and you, about what time to be in, and, and uh, what are you doing after school, and where'd you go in the car, and, and I would, my defense, I'd say, hey, I'm doing my job. It's my job as a parent. Amen. So let the church do its job in seeking people and caring, watching over its members. They are the precious children that God has given us. Amen. Brothers, let's receive the offering. Take care of Mama today. Amen. Ushers, if you'll come. And Jan, you come and let's uh, pray and and then we will worship God with our offerings to His new covenant community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You today for the church of Jesus Christ. Thank You for this precise prediction we have in Isaiah of the New Testament church and its blessings to humanity. Make us the fulfillment, O oh God, I pray, of this prophecy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.